If you are locked up against your will without a trial for 15 years and your beloved husband is possessed by a ghost, I'll say it. I think you are allowed to go crazy. Welcome to all my friends who are English majors, the podcast where I, a business major, make my friends, almost all English majors, read popular fiction with me. This month is Jane Eyre month, and this week my sister Betsy and I read My Plain Jane, which is the second book in a series all about the literary Janes. Betsy, how did you come across this book? I'm not sure I even remember anymore. Um... But I looked at it, but it caught my eye because it was a Jane Eyre adaptation, of course. And then I realized that it was ghosts, which are really not my thing. And so I put it back down and walked past it at the library. But when it came time to do Jane Eyre Month, it was in my head. So if the first one is called My Lady Jane, who's it about? Lady Jane Grey. It's historical and literary, Jane's. Oh, okay. Yeah, because the third one is Calamity Jane. Yep. Okay. I think that makes sense. She's, like, semi-mythologized, but, yeah. So that's the series. I feel like any wild western woman should be mythologized. Like, um, the shark. Like Annie Oakley. Yes. So... This book is very uh tongue-in-cheek. Tongue you can tell by, like, just the front cover. Um, It's a picture of, like, a really beautiful woman with My Plain Jane written over it. And then there are little arrows that say things like, She sees dead people. She's looking for love in all the wrong places. And then an arrow pointing to the word Jane. And it says, Air, that is. So we're supposed to understand that it's, like, a book about Jane Eyre and she can see ghosts. Like, that's the vibe we're supposed to get, basically. But it's really modern. Like, the front of the book is really modern. It is. She's wearing, I think, like, a high-necked blouse. So, you can tell that it's supposed to be the Victorian Jane. But, yeah, the cover is very of now. Well, and the, like, way that it's written is very of now, like, in terms of being, like, short little pithy sentences that are supposed to, like, suck you in. There aren't really any short pithy sentences in the book Jane Eyre. No, Charlotte Bronte was a fan of the run-on with the comma. And (laughs) even in a book like Pride and Prejudice, where Jane Austen was, like, a satirist, sentences are still long. Yeah, you... They didn't really use to write books for the explicit purpose of consumption. Like, they used to write books for the explicit purpose of of reading. Yes. The things that were meant to be consumed, correct me if I'm wrong, were more like the, the weekly newspaper stories. Yeah, or like the rag paper books that Joe March publishes while she lives in the city. Right. Okay, do you want me to read the back of the book? Sure. You may think you know the story. After a miserable childhood, penniless orphan Jane Eyre embarks on a life, on a new life as a governess at Thornfield Hall. 
There, she meets one dark, brooding Mr. Rochester. Despite their significant age gap, in parentheses, exclamation point, and his uneven temper, in parentheses, two exclamation points, they fall in love, and reader, she marries him. In parentheses, three exclamation points, or does she? Prepare for an adventure of gothic proportions, in which all is not as it seems. A certain gentleman is hiding more than the skeletons in his closets, and one orphan Jane Eyre, aspiring author Charlotte Bronte, and supernatural investigator Alexander Blackwood are about to be drawn together on the most epic ghost hunt this side of Wuthering Heights. Are there ghosts in Wuthering Heights? Yes, Catherine Earnshaw dies of a mysterious wasting disease tuberculosis and comes back to haunt Heathcliff, even though she jilted him. I do think it is wonderful when women haunt men. Yes, but she jilted him. <laughs> yeah, but he was a bad dude, so I think it's fine. If a man is abusive, you're yeah. allowed to haunt him in the afterlife. But she was equally bad. Oh, is that kind of the whole thing? Yeah, they're like supposed to be perfectly horrible together, except that Kathy marries for money. Oh, we're doing it again. Somehow it's turned into a Wuthering Heights podcast. How have we done it? <laughs> I don't know. Well, because, yes, there are actual hauntings in Wuthering Heights. And if Catherine, and if they ever do a series about the literary and historical Catherine, she'll be in it. Something I thought that was interesting about the ghosts in this book is I, and we haven't done the two-minute summary yet, so I guess spoilers, but... And I think this summary is going to take more than two minutes because there's so many different points of view and also, like, three different plots happening at any different point. Um, That's true. But I did like that they didn't have Mrs. Rochester be a ghost. Like, I think that no. was good. No, I did like that, and I thought that that was a possibility at different points. I did like that they had Mr. Brocklehurst die by poisoning. That was very oh, that satisfying. Was yeah, <laughs> that was great. Um, here is my question to you. This book has three authors. Do you think each point of view was written by a different author, or do you think they all write together? It may, they may well have done it each there are three points of views, three authors, because that is the way that makes the most sense if you're not in the same place at the same time writing. Yeah. Uh, but I think they, if they did, they do a pretty seamless job. There weren't points in the book where I was like, well, clearly one author wrote this and another author wrote this. Yeah, I kind of feel the same, although I did find Jane's, I found Jane to be really annoying in this book. Because, Me like, too. she was a little bit too, like, flighty. Flighty, and also, like, like, Charlotte is, like, trying to get a job and change her life and, like, do all this stuff. And Alexander Blackwood, the supernatural investigator, is, like, trying to do his job and protect people and, like, do interesting things. And Jane is, like, I think I'm in love with Rochester. Right, and she's hiding from the fact she sees ghosts. She's hiding from all of the much clearer in this version red flags. Yeah, that was, I think, funny to me. I was glad. Like, if you're gonna put a modern spin, even if you're setting it on Victoria in Victorian times, like, it is probably important as an authorship to, like, 
make it very clear that like Rochester is bad and Jane is being kind of whack. Yeah, but Rochester isn't. We'll get there. Yeah, I did love the ghost of Helen Burns as her sassy companion because Helen in the original was not a sassy person. Oh my gosh, no. She's like, when I am punished, it's okay because I get to practice being patient and kind. Yeah, she's so she's one of those characters in a Victorian novel who's so pious you know she's gonna die. <laughs> yeah, I think that makes sense. Okay. Should I do the two minute summary because you're gonna give us a history lesson afterwards? Sure. Okay. So in this book, ah, I just spilled tea on my computer. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, it'll be fine. So in this book, it starts with the death of Mr. Brocklehurst, who was the teacher, head teacher at the school, and everyone knows that he's been poisoned, but no one knows who did it, but they all think it was the teachers. And Charlotte Bronte goes to this school with her best friend, Jane Eyre, and Charlotte is, like, trying to write a book. She's trying to be an author. And so she, throughout this book... Oh, my God. How do you summarize this book with three different points of view? Ah. One character at a time. Okay, then I'm just going to stick with Charlotte. So Charlotte finds out about this ghost society and decides she wants to get a job there. And so she goes to Alexander Blackwood, who's one of the other point of view characters in this book, and is like... Let me be your assistant. And he already has an assistant. It's Branwell Bronte, who's Charlotte's older brother. And Charlotte eventually leaves the Lowood School because she's working with Alexander. And they have to go to Thornfield because they have to try to recruit Jane into working for the supernatural society that Alexander works for. Because she can see ghosts. So they go to Thornfield and try to convince Jane to be a ghost hunter, sort of. And Jane says, no, 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 I cannot. I don't see ghosts. I don't know what you're talking about. And Charlotte is really trying to convince her. They offer her 5,000 pounds a year. It's like a big, big deal. And then weird stuff starts happening in Thornfield. And Charlotte and Alexander eventually leave because Alexander thinks that Rochester killed his dad. Very messy. And they leave because they're trying to go catch Mr. Mason, which is a plot that happens in this book. And then they can't catch Mr. Mason and they go back to London. And then Charlotte kind of falls off for a minute, right? Because a lot of stuff is happening to Jane and Alexander Blackwood. Am I right? This yeah. is, Betsy, this is hard to summarize. It is, yeah. Because now you have to go back and do Jane and Alexander. But Maybe I can do Jane and Alexander at the same time. Yeah. Jane ended up seeing ghosts because she got locked in the Red Room and freaked her out, herself out so much that she died. But then she woke herself back up and then she could see ghosts. But she's keeping it a big secret. And then she meets Alexander Blackwood, and he figures out that she can see ghosts. But she doesn't trust him because he captures ghosts, and she doesn't want the nice ghosts to have to get, like, captured into objects, essentially. 
And so she eventually flees because Alexander won't stop trying to recruit her to the society. And she goes to Thornfield and then starts working at Thornfield and spooky things start happening. And then Charlotte and Alexander Blackwood sneak into Thornfield pretending to be the rich folks as a part of Blanche Ingram's party. And then a bunch of spooky stuff happens and Jane agrees to marry Richard Rochester. But you find out she only agrees to marry him later in the book because he puts a pearl necklace on her and she gets possessed by a ghost. Um, so she gets possessed by a ghost, and then we find out later on that Mr. Rochester is being possessed by a ghost, who is the ghost of his elder brother, the rude one who made him marry Bertha Mason in the first place in the original text. In this text, the true Mr. Rochester and Bertha Mason were in love, and Bertha Mason was a beacon so she could attract ghosts to her and then send them into the afterlife. And Jane is also a beacon. Jane is also a beacon. And then Mr. Mason and Charlotte, they all show up and they stop the wedding. Because, like, Jane is being possessed and Mr. Rochester is also being possessed. And they go up and they see Bertha Mason. And Bertha Mason very, like, coyly is basically like, you are not my Mr. Rochester. Because... He is technically being possessed and she can see it because, like, she's a beacon. And then, let's see. We find out the Duke of Wellington is the bad guy. And he's trying to possess the King of England so they can get more funding. And also so the Duke of Wellington can, like, possess, like, a lot of control And so they all somehow end up back in London after a little while. The Duke of Wellington tries to kill Alexander Blackwood. He fails. Mr. Rochester. How is Mr. Rochester freed of his brother's ghost? Do we find out? Yeah, he and Alexander get in a sword fight and Alexander cuts his necklace off. Oh, right, right, right. This book is really dramatic. It's pretty convoluted. Yeah, it made a lot of sense while I was reading it. But you're right, it's hard to summarize. It is hard to summarize, but it wasn't hard to follow. Like, while you were reading it, you were like, oh, this is what got, what's going to happen next. Um, And then they all go back, and they all help defeat the Duke of Wellington, and it turns out that Mr. Rochester and Bertha Mason are madly in love, and she's not crazy. Every, he just was her... The ghost possessing the real Mr. Rochester was just locking her in the attic... And then Charlotte Bronte falls in love with Alexander Blackwood. And I am pretending I do not see the fact that Mr. Rochester and Bertha Mason had a son that was technically more age appropriate for Jane that she meets right at the end of the book. Um, And I think the only major thing that I'm missing is that uh, Alexander Blackwood's idiot assistant is actually Charlotte Bronte's older brother, Branwell. Yes, you said that. You missed the fact that Alexander's father died in a mysterious explosion. Mmm. That we later find out was caused by the Duke of Wellington because Alexander's father and the, and the, el- somehow the elder Mr. Rochester, but the, the brother we know is Mr. Rochester. Not the, ah, confusing. Yeah, anyway. Edward Rochester did not kill Alexander's father, but Alexander thinks he did. That's the sword fight. Correct. 
And there's a whole bunch of little jokes about being in the Victorian era and, like, what it's like to go to a school like that. Like, they're doing a lot of, like, tongue-in-cheek stuff throughout the whole book. But I think that's what happens. Yeah, I think you've got the summary. So, um, one thing that I found really interesting about this book was the the three authors clearly had some sort of knowledge of Bronte lore as well as the book Jane Eyre. So starting with the Duke of Wellington, he was a hero in the Bronte household. He was a big deal. His um, defeat of Napoleon made him a hero throughout Britain, but Charlotte and Branwell specifically wrote an entire uh, imaginary world in which the Duke of Wellington was the hero based on some toy soldiers their father got them. So essentially, it's like very funny of them to have him be the villain here because the Brontes would never have talked about him as a villain. They would have only been like, oh my god, the Duke of Wellington ended Napoleon? Absolutely. Yeah. It was fun to have him be the villain as like an ironic twist. I also liked the inclusion of Branwell Bronte. No one ever talks about Branwell for good reasons. The real Branwell was... um an unstable alcoholic, but it was interesting to see this version and to see that, um, at least in this author's theory, it seems like the kind of interlude period where Jane runs away from Mr. Rochester and lives with the Riverses is based on Charlotte's three surviving siblings, Emily and Anne and, uh, Branwell. So Sinjin Rivers is kind of, what Branwell could have been had he not turned to alcohol. Uh, he would have just taken over his father's parsonage and been a really good preacher. This Branwell is a real idiot. It is objectively is. kind of funny. He's like, I'm hunting ghosts. Oh, and at the end, Charlotte dies a little bit, and then she can see ghosts. He's the family black sheep, which is consistent with life. But he's like a lovable black sheep, but not one who's going to bankrupt them. Yeah, that's kind of nuts. The I think it is so crazy not to talk about the patriarchy on Jane Eyre Month, but it is so crazy to me that we have like looked at men for eternity and been like, and they should have all the money and all the control because they women are too weak-willed. Women have been, like, bearing and raising children while men did whatever they wanted for thousands of years. But I will say, in the case of the Brontes, Mom died young, and Patrick Bronte raised them. Oh, well, see, more proof. Why are we letting men make all the decisions? Did a bad job. Branwell bankrupt the family. Uh, yeah, but Patrick is, like, a role model. Charlotte marries her father's curate, his, like, pastor's assistant. It is funny to me, so the umlaut over the E in Bronte was added by Patrick Bronte to make it fancier. Oh, Betsy, that's very funny. Has it always, was it always pronounced Bronte, though? Because doesn't the, well, actually, that's interesting, because I don't know what a umlaut does in English. Because in Nothing. French, it would be an accent, I think it would be an accent aigu. 
not yeah, I think the accent grab does something else. Yeah. Um really Patrick Bronte was Irish. And I think some evolution the name went through some evolution because it wasn't Gaelic anymore. But I'm pretty sure the umlaut was his. Do you ever regret not getting a linguistics degree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If I could um figure out how to get one online, I need a second master's to get a lot of faculty jobs. <laughs> but so far they're mostly in person and Oniana doesn't have one. Ugh. Gotta find a Truman State University librarian job. Move to Kirksville. Oh, that would actually not be terrible. Mom says I'd hate Kirksville, but at least Kirksville is only three hours from Kansas City. Why does mom think, what, what does mom have against Kirksville? Nothing, but it's not that different from Oneonta, and I'm finding small town life to not really be my thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Here's what I'll say about Kirksville. Your one-bedroom apartment would be $475 instead of $800. That's almost a dollar per square foot. That's not bad. Yeah, Kirksville real estate is really, really cheap. Anyway, sorry for the question out of left field, guys. Um, That's okay. Uh, I just, I wanted to know, because I think that... You have always thought the linguistics of words is fun, so I wanted to know if you... So do you look into the etymology of things on your own time? Sometimes. I think the year at Oxford was worth skipping the linguistics degree, but at this point, yeah, I would like to study it. I think it would make me a better cataloger. Mmm. Oh, that's the way you have to sell it to your employer. Oh, yeah, no, uh, the union will pay for one class a semester at SUNY. That's one reason I work in universities. But there's um, no online SUNY linguistics programs? Not that I know and of. And is it? It could be that they could finagle something. I'm not sure, but... Is it any SUNY program? Like, could you go to a SUNY... I probably could not go to law school or medical school. Those tend to be pricey degrees. Oh my gosh, imagine if you got yourself a law degree one class a semester at a time. Ugh, that would be worse than trying to get a regular master's that way. I feel like it but would no, be I really hard to pass the bar. Because, like, some of the classes you would have taken wouldn't have been 1L, it would have been, like, 8L. Right, and I don't know the reputation of the New York bar, but I know the California one is notoriously hard, and I wonder if that's a big state thing. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. Okay. Okay, back to the book. (laughs) I think the ghost concept is really fun. Yeah. Or do you have more, do you have more history lesson? No, uh, that was all the history, but I thought that People who don't know the Brontes might miss the significance of the Duke of Wellington, and there is one. Well, and I think you also kind of miss the significance of Branwell. Like, I think it is, like, it is really interesting that when reading Jane Eyre, we didn't think about the fact that if those sisters are kind of the implication of her sisters, then Sinjin is probably the implication of her brother. I think it's interesting that it took 
like a silly little spoof of the book where Jane Eyre can see ghosts to see that Charlotte maybe wrote Sinjin because she wanted so desperately for her brother to be different. Yeah. Um, I think that's the kind of, that's a good reason to read adaptations because sometimes when you take away some of the, uh, hard to understand references and hard to understand language of a Victorian novel, you can glean things from the plot that you couldn't when you were trying to both understand the plot and decode the words. Well, and I'm Googling. She was 38 years old when she wrote Jane Eyre, which is late enough in life to be really mad at her brother and also late enough in life to have experienced poverty. So it makes sense. And very late in life if you're a Bronte sister. (laughs) Oh, was she, like, was were her sisters dead by the time she published Jane Eyre? No, Anne and Emily and Charlotte published their first three at the same time. And then Emily only published Wuthering Heights and she died. Anne published one more and then she died. And Charlotte published four before she died. Well, three and then there was a posthumous. Mm, And how do you feel about her posthumous work? Uh, she wrote from a male point of view and she wasn't great at it. Mmm. That stinks. It was, yeah, it was more like Northanger Abbey. It was a first novel that was found after her death and then published. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think generally that is not it. There's a reason that they, like, didn't get published while the author was living. Yeah, although Northanger Abbey is fun and cute. But yeah, The Professor is not my favorite. Okay, back to the ghosts. The ghost concept in this book is so fun because they can really, like, write off people's decisions and, like, make them act a certain way by just being like, oh, well, he was possessed by a ghost at the time. Yes. Yeah, I feel like that could be a way to explain some of Britain's stranger historical moments, like Mad King George III, who was talking to a ghost in a tree. Instead of just, like, being crazy. Yes. I haven't watched the new season of Bridgerton with the, like, Queen Charlotte with Mad King George. But people said it was actually really sad. Oh, is she the Dowager Queen? I wonder, Mm -hmm. because George IV notoriously hated his wife, so holding them up as a paragon of romance felt weird. Yeah, I think... I think it's, yeah, they made him crazy. Well, he was crazy. Here are some of the best ghost bits, I think. Brocklehurst, like, is, like, wandering around the school harassing people. And he also is, like, explaining all the crazy things he did while headmaster. So, like, one of the girls is, like, I, like, was forced to wear burlap, and it turns out I'm allergic to it, and then I died. And ghost Mr. Brocklehurst is like, you should have had a stronger constitution. Like, it was supposed to make you tougher. Like, all of that stuff I thought was very funny at the Lowood School, to just have, like, an angry ghost that most of the girls can't see, like, marching around and being like, how could you be acting like this? Right, how could you be feeding them cheese platters? 
Which, like, in Britain at that time probably meant, like, cheddar. Like, you were just eating, like, a hard cheese. Yeah, I'm not even sure what that meant or how fancy and hard to come by cheese was at the time. But... I um, mean, think about Little House on the Prairie. They use all of the dairy. They did. But Little House on the Prairie was on, like, the isolated prairie near cows. And this takes place in urban Britain. You're telling me they didn't have cows in urban Britain? Well, countryside Britain, so maybe they did. But, yeah, no, urban Britain, definitely not. Where are you going to keep cows in London? I don't know. I think I have a hard time picturing what it would be like to live on an island that's, like, smaller than the Kansas City-Missouri metro. It's not that small. It's the southernmost point to the northernmost point is about the distance from Kansas City to Colorado Springs. Oh, okay. So, like, ten hours, tippity, tippity top to tippity bottom? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. England itself is about uh, eastern to western Kansas, so about eight hours. Okay. I don't know. How big is London in comparison to a city that, like, I've been to? Like, is it, like, the uh, size of D.C.? I think it's bigger than New York. London is bigger than New York? Oh my god, it is. about the same size. London is bigger... London is bigger kilometer-wise. And it has about 300,000 more people than the city. But it's also, like, way older. Yes. It is way older, and it's technically not a city because the British king never put it on the registry of cities. Well, what is London, then? It's a city, but I was watching a YouTube video a couple weeks ago. In America, it's got to do with having your own, like, incorporation and a post office. That's how you get defined as a city. In Japan, it's a population thing. In Britain, it's whatever the king said. Oh, that's very strange. Yeah, but also very consistent with them. But yeah, London and New York are very similar cities. Okay. So too big. London is like, yeah, London is like clean New York where the subway is quiet. Gotcha. Um, I don't know if you could tell from the summary that I gave, but I did think this book was too long. Yes. Um, and I agree. I think that they could have cut some stuff and I wasn't a huge fan of how often they broke the fourth wall. I feel like that loses its power after a while. They needed to, like, yeah, pick their moments to quip. There were, like, a shocking amount of, like, wink-wink, nudge-nudge, which, like, I also think that, like, this book is potentially not as enjoyable if you don't know all of the Bronte lore, specifically, like, why so many things would be wink-wink, nudge-nudge. Like, like, if they're breaking the fourth wall constantly, and you don't understand all the references as to why you're being winked at by a character, that, to me, probably makes a book a little less enjoyable. Yeah, and some of what they did was a little bit off. Uh, for example, the Cheryl and Emily and Anne did not spend that much time at their version of Lowood School because their older sisters, Elizabeth and Mariah, died, and then Patrick brought them home so they wouldn't die, too. Um, 
Which they did and have two of the sisters be ghosts at Lowood School. Oh, yes. Yeah. But the other three didn't stay at Lowood School. They left. Yeah. Which, I don't know, that didn't really take me out of it. I did really like it. Um, I mean, I liked a lot of the fourth wall breaking in terms of, like, making jokes about the Victorian era. Like, yes. Alexander Blackwood, like, answers the door in, like, with, like, his shirt on but open. And Charlotte is like, oh, my God, he's naked. And, like, the author is kind of like, and you know, reader, that he really was practically naked. Even though it's just, like, a man with, like, a couple of extra buttons undone on his shirt because he was shaving. And also Alexander Blackwood in that moment was like, oh my god, I'm naked! Like, ah! And I did think that was very funny. In Victorian terms, he was. The number of times he and Charlotte met in nightshirts, they probably would have ended up married just for propriety's sake. So, was Queen Vic- like- Like, was Queen Victoria the big driver of this? Was the Church of England under Queen Victoria the big driver of, like, the extreme modesty of the Victorian era? Like, I think Victoria had a lot of hand in it. Uh, The church was a lot less powerful of an entity by then, I would Mm -hmm. say, everywhere. But yeah, this whole, but yes, the Victorian era is the era of a man and a woman go walking in the garden, her glove comes off, they're married. Ooh. When is Bridgerton supposed to be? Regency. Regency. Okay. Um, other things I thought were fun in this book. Charlotte is so spunky. Yes, and I think that they probably did base that on the historical Charlotte Bronte. The Bronte sisters were all pretty bold women for their time. Because they had been encouraged to be educated and because they had spent a lot of time isolated at Haworth and not out in society learning how they were supposed to behave. Yeah. Well, and Charlotte, like, I appreciated her pursuit of, like, wanting to have a life and be an author. And, like, it, I think maybe that is why the Jane in this book was so annoying, is because Charlotte is being so spunky and, like, doing all of these things and trying to figure out what she wants out of her life. And Jane is like, well, I guess I can be a governess and no one's allowed to know about my great ability that would give me a good job. No, no, no. Yeah. Well, I can see where seeing ghosts would be a lot of baggage, especially if your best friend is a ghost and the people you're working for want to capture ghosts. That's true. That's fair. Yeah, the society only captures problematic ghosts, I will say. If they stay quiet and not uh, poltergeisty, they do fine. But also, if the Duke of Wellington is in charge of telling them which ghosts to capture, like, they could be capturing anybody's ghost. That's true, but... um. It's generally, at least in the scenes where we see them capture ghosts, pretty obvious that the ghost is actually problematic. The lady throwing glass all over the bar looking for her no-good husband. The guy with all the flies in his mouth in the carriage. The only ghost they ever capture who's not 
that doesn't have <coughs> serious, like, haunting issues is David Mitten. And he is consensually captured because he wants to be king again. Which is so crazy. That was a crazy plot. And also a little heavy-handed, this was the problem with the book feeling a little too long, was the plot points were very obvious from, like, many, many miles away. Yeah, some of them were. Um, I just feel like it made it seem really long because you were like, oh, okay, I see what they're setting up. Now, like, guess we'll just... We'll just wait for it to happen now. And, like, sometimes you waited a really long time. Like, when Alexander found that letter in Mr. Rochester's desk that mentioned A.W., I was like, oh, that's the Duke of Wellington. And then I had to wait, like, another two hours of reading for it to come out that it was the Duke of Wellington. Yes. Yeah, some of that. At that point... I don't think I knew the Duke was evil, but it's never the person you think it is. So I knew Mr. Rochester wasn't the killer of, uh, Well, like, it's still, it's still Jane Eyre. Like, when it comes down to it, like, even if they were being very tongue-in-cheek about, like, Rochester and his temper and the fact that he possessed her literally with a ghost... Like, they were still going to have Rochester be a good person. Well, Rochester is a good person. Edward Rochester doesn't do those things. Roland Rochester does. The ghost While possessing Edward Rochester's body. Yes. Yeah, and I, I like that in Charlotte's novel, like, there is this kind of concession that in a world without ghosts, Jane and Rochester would have worked out. Without ghosts and where Bertha is evil, or not evil, but insane. Yeah. So that allowed me to see this as a separate entity, which I appreciated. I think they got a little hung up on the age gap, personally. I don't know. I think specifically they were hung up on it because it wouldn't be an issue if he didn't have all of the other red flags. Yes. But in the, yeah, I think in the source material, there are fewer red flags. Yes, I think they gave him red flags on purpose because he was, again, Edward Rochester being possessed by Roland Rochester. Oh, yeah. Speaking of Bertha Mason, you mentioned her a moment or two ago. I thought this was a very fun way to handle the crazy plot line. Which was basically like, she's seeing ghosts! Lock her in the attic! Like... That's that's much better than her just, like, being a, a paranoid schizophrenic. Because I wanted them to do something different with her. I would have been disappointed if they had just, like, had Bertha being a ghost haunting the house. Yes. And I often think in fantasy books, the characters who can see ghosts are kind of schizophrenic-coded anyway. Yeah. So it makes sense that... So, yeah, I'm going to send you... Um, comic panel that I like, an e-comic panel. Um, Ooh, okay. Here we go. What am I looking at? Ooh, okay. Yeah. I'm reading a comic titled Dude Watching with the Brontes. And a woman says, what about that one? And a man says, what the hell are you looking at? 
And then all three Bronte sisters stand together and say, Nice. I know, right? And Anne goes, That guy was an asshole. And the other two sisters are like, Honestly, Anne, you have no taste. And Anne says, I'm just telling the truth. And then they look at, I think, who is supposed to be character of Mr. Rochester. And the, and Charlotte and Emily are saying, So passionate, so mysterious. And Anne goes, if you like alcoholic dick bags. And they say, Anne, you are so inappropriate. No wonder nobody buys your books. It, this is very good. This is exactly right. Yes, it is. And yeah, so Anne writes one where, um, the nanny is, or the governess is just a governess and the curate is just a curate and nobody's wife is in the attic. Well, where's the fun in that? Right? I think he has, like, a rival suitor in there somewhere. But she's not Jane Austen, and it's not light and funny. So it's just, like, kind of heavy and boring. A little bit, yeah. Agnes Grey gets a lot of that sort of criticism. And then Tenet of Wildfell Hall got a lot of the opposite when it was written because um, it's a story about a woman who escapes her alcoholic husband with their son who at the time would have absolutely gone to the father if anybody had known there was a son. Yeah. Um, and they end up living incognito in this little town, and she falls in love with... I don't know that I know what his job is. I think he might just be a gentleman farmer or something. But Oh my gosh. Um, Imagine just getting to be a gentleman. <laughs> right? You know what that just made me think of? For some reason, it made me think of a town like Alice. A little bit, yeah. Uh, it's not quite the same at all. No Chinese death marches. Japanese death marches. That's true. There is a whole death march in a romance book called A Town Like Alice. But it's a really wonderful book. It is, and it's so much more than a romance. Neville Shoot, S-C-H-U-T-E. It is a lovely book. Anyway... Yeah, I think it's fun that Bertha wasn't hysterical, that she wasn't just, like, locked in the attic for, like, being a woman with emotions, that she, like, could see ghosts, was a beacon, like, had worked for the ghost society, and then, like, wasn't useful to the men anymore, so got locked up for 15 years. Here's what I will say. If you are locked up against your will without a trial for 15 years, and your beloved husband is possessed by a ghost... I'll say it. I think you are allowed to go crazy. Right. And the fact that she didn't show some serious inner strength. I think that um, you make a good point. In this book, they really go in hard on the idea that not every crazy woman in Victorian times was crazy. Which is still true. But even more true back then. Anytime a yeah. woman felt a strong emotion, they were like, she's hysterical. Lock her up. Um, but Charlotte's Bertha was not just hysterical. No, which I think is really fun. I think that it's good. I also think that, like, when you introduce a supernatural element to a book, you have to kind of remove the possibility of hysteria, specifically because, like, what are you going to say? You have, like, a government-funded society that gets rid of ghosts and, like, People, like, have supernatural things happen to them. But, yeah, like, women are hysterical. Like, Bertha is hysterical for saying she can see ghosts. Like, and 
It would have made very little sense and been disappointing for the plot, I think, for her to be a ghost. And it would have been disappointing and made no sense if she was locked up and treated as a hysterical woman for seeing ghosts. Yeah, no, and she's not. She is straight up imprisoned. And everybody knows that she's not really crazy. Yeah. Except the village. Did everyone know she was in the attic? And also, why would she have stabbed her brother? Um, I don't remember why she stabbed her brother. I think there was a reason. She, they learned that she was, or somebody else stabbed her. Maybe Grace Poole stabbed him, because in this version, she's evil and not just an inattentive nursemaid. But, no, they didn't know about the wife in the attic until Thornfield burned down. And after that, they came up with all these theories as to what exactly happened that Charlotte knows aren't true, but she picks the one she likes the best, and that's what happens to Thornfield in the novel. The novel within the novel that Charlotte is writing. There's so many layers to this book. There are. But it was a very appropriate October read, I thought. Yeah, with the ghosts and everything else, I think for sure it was appropriate. It, um, I think it also was good to do something, like, kind of fun, because, like, last week's book, a little bit of, like, a weird downer, but not really, like, really just the romance part of Jane Eyre with all the depression as well. And then, also, like, we're also gonna read literary fiction next week, so I'm really going to have to think very hard with my brain. And I think this one was a good medium. Aside from the fact that it was so long! Why was it so long? It was long. And why Sargasso Sea is shorter, but I've already gotten 56 pages in. Bertha's life is a downer, unsurprisingly. No, that's not surprising. Yes. Dang. (laughs) But also, like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah. I feel like... I'm hoping there's not just, like, I don't know. I feel like I can really read about women's, like, depression and sadness and oppression as long as there also isn't sexual violence. Like, I'm like, we can do one or the other. I'm not sure. She hasn't actually met Mr. Rochester yet. Her life in the Caribbean is also very bleak. Well, I mean, of course your life is depressing. Your mother's a paranoid schizophrenic. Like, yeah, and they're former slave owners post-1833, and it's all bad. Oh, colonialism and mental illness. It's all right there. Yes. Yeah, uh, this one is often studied post uh, through a post-colonial lens. But anyway, yes, this was a good, like, palate cleanser. And it was a good medium between Jane, which is a very, um, like, faithful reinterpretation of the source material, and White Sargasso Sea, which is not about the source material at all, in a sense. They took a character from the source material and made her the main character. Yeah. Although it is clear to me that, like, it is important to look, like, how well i guess you wrote your um you wrote your uh senior year capstone on the dominican diaspora correct i did yep dominican diaspora so, literature 
So how important do you find in specifically like Regency and Victorian novels? Like, is it important to you? And did you have professors who found it important to talk about colonialism and people of color within the stories written by white people for white people? It depended. Um, we did talk about some of, I did read articles about some of the like implications of people having slaves overseas in Jane Austen or in the Brontes, but the biggest difference between England and the U.S. is that there were never slaves in England, or never very many. They owned slaves, but the slaves were all in the colonies. So, like, how did that change the way that you were taught Jane Eyre by a American professor and an English professor? Well, neither one... There's some obvious connection to slavery in Jane Eyre because of the West Indies um, subplot, because Bertha Mason is Creole, which in this case probably means a white woman raised in the Caribbean rather than a, a mixed-race woman. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure that that changed anything. We certainly talked about uh, race in American literature. There's an era between like 1850 and 1880 where it kind of punches you in the face. So, but then you also get men like Thoreau or Walt Whitman, who, at least in their writings, although I think Thoreau might have been an abolitionist, are like, we should all love ourselves as individuals. This outside collective system doesn't exist. Hmm. Yeah. Very much a white man's perspective on that whole issue. Hard to ignore yeah. the system when it hurts you. But, um, yeah, uh, you talk about it a little bit, but there aren't very many people of color present in novels of that time, or at least not explicitly. Gotcha. Like, I'm sure there are theories that X character in Austen's novels was black, but she never says that. Gotcha. And that's the authorial intent thing also a little bit that we can't, like, like, there are a lot of people who think that um Hermione is, like, Indian-coded because she has, like, the big curly hair. And J.K. Rowling, as much as she talks about, like, the way that people look, like, unless she's explicitly stating a character as a person of color, she doesn't really talk about their skin color very much. So no, like, she, and a few years ago, she did say, "Yes, I intended Hermione to be black." But if that's true, she had a lot of say over the casting of those movies, and she cast a white. Oh, woman. that's simply not true. I'm so sorry, J.K. Rowling. You did not intend for Hermione to be black. I do think it's nice that people can theorize and like make space for what they. Like, because J.K. Rowling has at this point crossed so many lines with so many of her readers, like, people are really just like, and now this book is public property. Like, we can think it's however we want it to be. Also, she did have that weird stretch, like, three or four, well, I guess maybe it was more like six or seven years ago at this point where she was like, and another thing. I meant this to happen. And it was like, you can stop talking. Yeah. You really like, don't have a say People over don't what... actually want to know anymore. Yeah, people, you don't really have a say over what people think about your characters now that they're out there. 
But also, again, no, Hermione is not Indian. Or at least J.K. Rowling did not intend her to be, because if she had, she wouldn't have cast Emma Watson as Hermione. Let's see. Do we want to talk about the perfect man? I feel like we've talked about everything else. Yeah, who is the perfect man in this book? It's certainly the not girl, the ghost I don't possessing Mr. Yeah. It's certainly not the ghost possessing Mr. Rochester. I'm not sure it's Edward Fairfax Rochester either. I think that I Alexander think it might Blackwood be Alexander is kind Alexander Blackwood. Yeah, I think he's kind of the romantic lead here. It's not Branwell Bronte either. Or his awkward proposal to Jane. That's one reason I think that Charlotte didn't make them actually her siblings, because you can't have Branwell propose to Charlotte. That's not, even in that day and age, not allowed. Was Charlotte supposed to be Jane? Well, I think, who knows? In the real world. In this book, there's a lot of indication Charlotte is poor and plain and intelligent and small and she's all of the things that Jane Eyre was in her books. Except be spectacled. Jane doesn't wear glasses. Yeah, that's fair. I do think that Alexander Blackwood is the romantic lead in this book. I think that he's a good romantic lead. I think that it's good that he's not that confident of a person. I think it's good that he is just trying his best. I think he is generally, like, a pretty non-toxic man. Like, he's not like, Charlotte, you can't be my assistant because you're a woman. He's like, I'm really sorry, I'm, like, not allowed to hire you because you can't see ghosts. Right. Although Jane is the first woman who's been employed at the society since he got there. And there is a part of him that says, um, or in, I don't know if it's Alexander who says it, or the Duke, who's like, we don't really have much use for women. Um, but, yeah, he does, and he and Charlotte kind of grow on each other over time. I think that's also true in Jane Eyre. Um, I think you could call Jane and Mr. Rochester a slow burn, or at least a medium burn. I think but. that it's a it's a slow burn in that it takes a while for them to like really truly be together at the end, but it's not a slow burn in the true sense of the like like I feel like it doesn't take them that long to admit their feelings for each other. It just takes them a long time for them to finally be together in the sense of the like Victorian era marriage, children, like life together. Yeah. Yeah, I think it takes them long enough. I think it's a short engagement, but it's a long enough acquaintance, especially for the time, for me to be okay with it. And yeah. but in this in this book, yeah, Charlotte and Alexander spend a lot and they spend a lot of time with each other. That always helps me in quick burn romances when like you've been through something traumatic and been together 24-7 for, like, a month, maybe you do know each other well enough. Yeah. I think that's fair. And also, like, there's a lot of, like, long carriage rides and, like, notes sent to each other. Like, they talk about things. Like, something that's nice about this book is what it doesn't do what a lot of romances do, which is, like, these two people are kind of hanging out due to circumstance. 
And then we find out that he's been pining after her for years and years and years and years. Like, I think it's nice that they didn't know each other before. Yes. They were, like, thrown together. I do like that. Um, I like that um, they kept it fairly chaste. Uh, I think I like that they stay true to that Victorian sort of. Oh, there was less kissing in this book than there was in the actual Jane Eyre. Right. Yeah. And I don't hate a bodice ripper, but I do recognize that some things that would not have been going on in the 1840s are going on in them. And this was true to the time. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, I don't have that much to say about The Perfect Man. Like... No. uh, Alexander Blackwood's pretty good. But really, Jane and Charlotte drive this story, even if Alexander's POV is in there. Did you think the mask thing was weird? A little bit, but, like, I could picture it like a plague mask kind of thing. Yeah, but also, like... What was covering his face doing? Was it, like, making it so ghosts couldn't go in his mouth and possess him? I think it was an anonymity thing. The gloves were so that he wouldn't be possessed when he drove the ghost into the talisman. Yeah, that's fair. Um. Well, and I bet you don't want everyone in the whole world to know you can see ghosts. So unless you're, like, on official ghost hunting business, like... Maybe you just want to, like, be anonymous in London. Yeah. But even though when Alexander took over, he made it an anonymous secret society, I actually kind of liked that throughout the book, under Wellington's rule, it wasn't secret. Like, they could walk around and people knew that the society existed. Yeah, that's true. I do think it was interesting that the supernatural, like, was allowed to exist. Like, that's the, I think, the biggest thing you have to, like, suspend disbelief on is that, like, we're in Victorian, recognizable Victorian England, except ghosts exist and everyone is acting so normal about the supernatural. Right. I think the Victorians thought ghosts existed. But... I don't think all the Victorians thought it, and it wasn't quite as provable. Well, what about Edward Fairfax Rochester Jr.? Annoying. <laughs> Annoying. <laughs> Just like, like, Jane, like, she keeps being like, I was in love with Mr. Rochester, but, like, I don't really know if I believe it. And then they, like, appear a, a son of Bertha and Edward Fairfax Rochester out of nowhere and are like, don't worry, we solved it so she can end up with someone. I think that it was better. I simply ignored that and read her as being very Joe March coded. And was well, like... Joe got married too. Okay, but if we're going with the Greta Gerwig interpretation, interpretation the book was her baby. And like, the she didn't only... actually get married. I think the only valid interpretation is the Louisa May Alcott one. That's her character. I think it's interesting what Greta Gerwig did as an update, but no, Professor Bear is a real person and Joe actually marries him. It's just that if Joe is Louisa, Louisa was single for the rest of her life. Hmm. 
We will agree to disagree on that one. I just, like, maybe it's because, I don't know. Maybe I just need to rewatch Little Women. It's a good and movie. And have a lot of feelings. It's a good movie, and I don't mind the way that she ended it. I just, you can't reinterpret what the book says. Book Joe March got married. Okay. You want to do Goodreads? Just, yeah, just one more thing about Rochester Jr. I think it sounds like you think he's just an excuse for Jane to end up with somebody. I think it's their way of solving the eternal problem people have with this book, which is that Rochester is so much older than she is, and he has a wife. And I don't, I'm with you, I don't like it, but yeah, it just, it feels like they couldn't deal with Jane ending up with a 38-year-old. And so they had to create this convenient, age-appropriate guy for her. Okay, but also, this Mr. Rochester, Edward Fairfax Rochester, actually loved his wife, and his wife, like, wasn't a paranoid schizophrenic, and, like, was alive, and they were together. Right. I think it would have been better... I think it just would have been better if Jane ended up alone instead of, like, tossing in some young buck right at the end and being like, maybe. Yes. Yeah, and she's a woman with her own money. At the end of the she book. really does have her own money at the end of the book. That is a fun part of it. She's making as much money as Mr. Bingley. Oh, my God. Mr. Bingley. My favorite thing to do is for my birthday every year, I'm like, Sam, we should watch this movie. And then we'll watch, like, Penelope or Pride and Prejudice for my birthday. And then I will inevitably sleep through the most important parts of the movie. Oh, you've only been with Sam for two years. Yeah, and we've watched Penelope and Pride and Prejudice. So what are you going to make him watch next Tuesday? I don't know. I haven't really decided yet. I forgot that we had watched Penelope because I did sleep through it. So I had suggested that. But also, I think the new season of Lupin comes out. Um, the French show about the gentleman burglar. Arsène yep. Lupin. Gentleman cambrioleur in French. Except it's about a Senegalese immigrant who is, like, emulating Arsène. And, um, the show is so, 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 so good. And season two and a half, maybe two, I don't know. Season one was split into two parts, and now I think this is finally season two. Comes out, I think, tomorrow or Friday. Okay, but you'd actually have to pay attention to that one, because not only have you not seen it before, it's subtitled. Season three comes out October 5th. Okay. Well. You can't sleep through that one. No, I will not sleep through that one. Well, and also I don't. I refuse. For those, for listeners who don't know, I have a French minor, and I'm not very good at French, but I will say I will not watch an English dub of a French show. Like, I will watch the French version with English subtitles, and I do quasi understand what they're saying mostly because i can like read the english and then hear back the french and i'm like oh yeah that's what that is 
No. I was never deeply into anime, but I'm with you. Subtitles are the way to go if you're going to do it. Subtitles are the way to go? Okay. Let's talk about Goodreads. Yep. Uh, I'll start with, I have two three-star reviews. One says... This was so much fun. I didn't like it quite as much as I expected to, but it was still sure and such an enjoyable read, and I am V happy to have read it. Also, the HP, Harry Potter reference, slayed me. That's the whole review. Yeah, that's about how I'm feeling. Like, it was a little long. It was an enjoyable read. I'm glad I read it. But, like, I'm not going to reread it. I don't want to own it. Okay, I own it for both of us. You bought it? Yeah, I ordered both of the books I didn't already have on Amazon. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm on a only buying books I've read ban, which I did finally. Babble by R.F. Kwong came out in paperback. I've told you about it, right? I've told you you need to read it. You have. It was on my Libby shelf for a while. I think I may have let it lapse. You need to, Betsy, you need to read it. It's it's all about linguistics and colonialism yeah. and revolution and um <laughs> some heavier yeah. themes. But it actually is like a very linguistically interesting book. I'm um, sure it is. It sounds, the first chapter was good. Um, The other three-star review that I have says, humor, four stars. Narrator interjections, two some was okay. Some was over the top. Characters, three and a half. Pacing, three. Nailed it. Like, I think they nailed yeah. it. Yeah. This book was funny. Some of the narrator interjections were funny. The characters made you want to keep reading. But the pacing was slow. Like, yeah. Every Goodreads review should be like this. I shouldn't have to yeah. read an essay about my plain Jane. I also have a four star. This one, I will say I don't agree with the fact of not being a fan of Jane Eyre, but it says the authors make fun of the original story a lot. It was gold. To be honest, the fact that I'm not a fan of Jane Eyre may have played a big part in my enjoyment of this book. I was already a fan of My Lady Jane, but having all these references to the original work made this story even more fun to listen to. So if you're a friend of the original and sensitive to your favorite story being mocked, better stay away from this one. They are brutal, in a loving way. The writing was witty and smart. Loved the fact that they included references to other works of literature, such as Mary Poppins or Harry Potter or Charlotte Bronte's life, in such a hilariously obvious way. When listening to My Plain Jane, I could practically see the authors before me just having a blast writing this ridiculous book. It doesn't take itself seriously at all, and that's why it worked so well for me. I would agree with that. I think it was a great tribute to the original honestly i didn't think they made too much fun and i do think there were a couple of clear red flags in the original that where jane should have been like but who set the bed on fire so yeah i thought that their criticism was founded to some degree but this also felt like a separate enough universe that i could enjoy both Sorry, you're, Betsy, I hate to tell you, I think the $5 headphones you bought at the Dollar Tree tree three weeks ago <laughs> might have only had three podcasts in them. Well, good, because now I don't affect my long-term reproductive health by using them over and over again. <laughs> you're going to have to get new headphones before next week. It's okay. That's 10 bucks I've spent on this 
month. Maybe you can spend like $20 this time instead of $5. <laughs> Maybe so. Headphones are not a need for me, but anyway. I think you're going to find that you like having headphones. I might. Yeah, I think if she hadn't been writing the novel within the novel, like, I think when she's writing the novel within the novel, it actually makes it clear that the authors respect the source material and that they are like, here, let's, like, write this, like, satire is not the right word, but spoof doesn't feel right either. Like, let's, like, write this, like, joking version of it, but make it clear that, like, we see where the author could have been coming from and, like, respect it and also think that there is, like, a quality way to write it. Betsy, I gotta tell you, I think we need to wrap it up because I really can't hear what you're saying. I, yeah, uh, this was a good Jane Eyre adaptation. I'm excited to see where next week takes us with a slightly more literary and slightly less connected take. Yeah, this one, I think next week will be really interesting. I think it'll be good. Yeah. And I'm excited to see, like, like that is, I think, the thing about Jane Eyre that leaves the most sour taste in your mouth is Bertha Mason. And, like, I'm glad that we're going to spend some time with her, even if it is, like, depressing and sad. Yes. And not canon. I think that... <laughs> um, okay. This has been All My Friends Are English Majors. Follow us on Instagram at English Majors Pod. Send us an email at EnglishMajorsPod at gmail.com. Um, next week we're going to read The Wide Sargasso Sea by Jean Rhys. Um... And, yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody.